This is A Drink with a Friend. I'm Tish Oxenreiter. And I am Seth Haynes. Seth, what are you drinking this afternoon? Well, you know, uh, last uh, in the last couple of episodes, we've had a couple conversations about uh, fizzy waters, sparky waters, mm-hmm. as our sparky friend uh, calls calls spark, uh, sparky water, but well, fizzy right. water. Yeah, I, um, I, Amber did a real solid for me last week, and she got some Waterloo's. As you know, I'm partial to them. I love them, and so I am drinking a watermelon Waterloo, uh, and it's like the flavor of summer. Hmm. And does it feel like summer there still, even though we're in September? Oh, gosh, it's awful, Tish. I've been telling Amber for the last like two weeks, we need a break. Like I'm ready. I'm I'm uh-huh. done, done, done with summer. I'm ready for it to be over. Um, and then I looked at the extended forecast and it's supposed to be like 90 degrees here on the 15th. Uh-huh. Yeah. That's oh, ridiculous. it's worse here. It's actually worse here this month than it's been in August. Like it's almost like the summer is now coming or something. So yeah. what's bonkers about it is that um, you know, you had the coldest, I'm assuming it was the coldest winter in Austin history, because you had all that crazy the snowpocalypse mm-hmm. came mm-hmm. and wiped you guys out. And then you go from the coldest winter in Austin to the hottest September. Well, hot not on record. We get crazy hot here. So it actually has been pretty mild. But I will say for me personally, it's been crazy because our Pacific Northwest was crazy hot. You know? Oh, yeah. That whole thing? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, that was crazy. Yeah. That was anyway crazy time. So anyway, I'm drinking Waterloo and praying uh, for the days when I don't feel, <laughs> you know, overheated drinking coffee I at know. 2 o'clock. Same. That's what I'm drinking. What are you drinking? Okay. I'm drinking average coffee. That's the best way I can put it. And I don't mean that disparagingly. I just mean it's from HEB. Our usual was not there. So I got the stuff called bike fuel and it was kind of mid range price. It's Hmm. medium roast and it's fine. I won't, I won't buy it again if I, you know, have choices, but it works. It's not Folgers. It's, it does the trick. I am choosing to embrace the not coffee snob in me and kind of go with it. So where's yeah. bike fuel from? Do you have any idea? I don't know. I was looking and then I think I saw it and then I forgot. So <laughs> I have meant you, to I meant to double check for our chat. Have you ever had a cup of coffee that felt transcendent and then you asked what kind of coffee it was and somebody has told you, oh, it's Folgers or Maxwell House? I was nodding along like, yes, I have had that. I have. And then, no, I don't know if I've ever had that experience of finding out that it was of that ilk. No. <laughs> so we had an experience like that this summer. Uh, we mm-hmm. were on our way to the beach and we stopped in this little uh, town in Mississippi. And we stopped at this old, like sort of historic home. Uh, it was like a bed and breakfast. And um, the roots of cypress trees had actually grown through the pipes Hmm. Um, and so all of the water had this like kind of brownie tinging, tinged color uh, oh. to it. And they told us like, listen, you can drink it. It's not bad for you. You can shower in it. It won't, you know, it doesn't smell. And it didn't. And the next morning we had this coffee. And I was like, golly, this coffee is so good. Um, and of course we hadn't, we didn't drink any of the water. We drank bottled water. Mm-hmm. And um, I said, what is, what, what coffee is this? And she said, you know, you'd be shocked how many people ask us this question and okay. it's Folgers. 
And the best <laughs> we can figure out is it's the water. There is that that brownish oh, hue weird. in the water. We use tap water. And so it's there's something about that earthiness that makes its way into the coffee. And I thought, that's both disgusting and incredible. Please give me another cup. Right. That is wild. Well, it's also funny that that's what it takes to make it, you know, good. Yeah. I don't know. It turns it from um, swill to something palatable. <laughs> Right. And just so you know, I looked it up while we were chatting. It's from Madison, Wisconsin. So, oh, you know, oh, shout I've out heard to it's, Wisconsin. yeah, I've heard it's a cool place. So there you go. Okay. Yep. There you go. All right. Well, Tish, what are we, t- what, are, what are we talking about today? So I was thinking of this in mass yesterday because the priest brought up, you know, the gospel reading was the, the bit where Jesus heals a guy. Um, I believe he is deaf. He is deaf by sticking his fingers in the guy's ears. And during the gospel reading, Tate looked over at me like, oh, that's gross. And I just kind of nodded along. And then the priest made the comment about how interesting it was that Jesus, you know, the son of God, uses his human fingers to do some healing. And that he pointed out that the finger of God was used in a lot of Old Testament literature. Just, you know, it's in their culture to mean God is present. And he then went on to talk about how the importance of our our physical bodies are here on earth. And so it just got me thinking, and I'm curious about your experience. Having grown up Protestant, both of us, um, what did you learn about what happens to our bodies after the end of time? Like, were you taught anything explicit? Uh, I think so. Yeah. I mean, that's funny that I'm saying I think so, because now (laughs) I'm reverting to my 14-year-old self and trying to remember what I would have believed or what I would have thought. I think what we were taught was at the end of times, we are uh, sort of raptured away. Um, Those of us who have bodies are raptured away, I suppose, in our bodies, because there were all those bits about like the clothes being left on the floor. (laughs) Um, which would mean our bodies would have gone somewhere Um, and the planes crashing, right? There were like movies and books about that and stuff. And so, Uh um, and so, yeah. But then I think we were taught that when you get to heaven, you get a new body. So it's like you have your body, this body that I have is sort of substituted for a new body. Mm -hmm. I think that's what we were taught. And then all the people who were previously deceased would, um, who, obviously were in heaven and had no bodies or sort of in the well of souls um, would get some sort of a, a new body too. Mm-hmm. Um, so th- it was always seemed a little bit unfair to me because it was like, you know, they got the full use of their body and I only got like partial use of this body and then would somehow get a new body. And I never really saw the equity there, but that's maybe <laughs> for another podcast. Uh-huh. Um, so yeah, I think that's what we were taught. Does that sound yeah. vaguely familiar? It does. It does. It's funny. I forgot about the whole um, rapture business because my thought at the time was, oh, gosh. So if clothes are left, that means we're raptured naked. So are we all like in some holding room without clothes on? That's got to be awkward. Well, I completely forgot about it. It was a boys girls rapture, obviously, like (laughs) boys on one side of heaven, (laughs) girls on the other until the new bodies came. Clearly, I mean, it was implied (laughs) theology. Of course, of course. Um, I The thing that I remember most from my experience, and this is not to disparage my upbringing. I, I have so many great memories from my Bible church, and I'm grateful for a lot of what I learned, um, was that I was taught that the only things that will last for eternity are the word of God and the souls of men. 
Hmm. I remember being told that again and again, the word of God and the souls of men. So I pictured literal Bibles and just sort of like glowy light things that are our souls. And Hmm. I remember learning, okay, bodies resurrected somehow. I get that we have some form of body in heaven, but I pictured us getting to zip on around those souls, new suits and yay, I don't have to deal with all the dumb stuff about the bodies here, like acne or something <laughs> like that's, yeah. that's what I remember learning. Not full on wrong, but kind of wrong, you know? Mm. And so I guess the thing that's been on my mind is dovetailing with that. And the fact that last night, Kyle finished our long awaited island in our kitchen. And I say long awaited because we live in a fixer upper and have been for five years. And so every project or every square inch of our house is a project and every project takes a while. And so we're definitely doing the slow version because we're living in the house and Kyle's really, really good at this kind of thing. We're, you know, building with his hands. And so we would rather save money and him do it. The problem is he has to do it in the nooks and crannies of time. So he finished our kitchen island and it looks Amazing. Like, I keep just staring at it. In fact, last night I hugged it. I was like, I really like this island. And it's an inanimate object, right? It's It's a physical thing where I can chop stuff and where we can store pots and pans. So it's a weird thing to feel this, like, love towards. And yet, I don't know, there's something also that makes sense about that. Like, he used real wood the just right color of paint, this really nice maple butcher block on top. And it makes me wonder, like, what makes this a really just right island? You know, it's not like something that's going to be in a museum, but it's just right for our family and for the house we live in. And why does it matter? You know, like, why does the kind of wood matter? Why not just cheap laminate? Because we could have gone that route and saved money. Why did we choose the more expensive, though not the highest priced item um, for just a simple house that is gonna burn quote i'm saying this in air quotes i don't know so the this combination of like what lasts and what matters in the here and now has been on my mind and i realize that's a huge thing to talk about on a you know weekday afternoon over coffee but that's on my mind yeah i guess it makes sense i'm really fascinated to hear more about the word of god in the souls of men because i i mean i really I think there are parts of what you said that resonated with my upbringing. I was raised, as I think listeners know, I was raised Southern Baptist. Um, you know, in some ways, I guess it would have been considered fundamentalist you know, it mm-hmm. was certainly evangelical. Um, but also, and I don't know if this was just me or if this was the church I was raised in, but there was also a little bit of space for free thought, like it... It didn't feel uh, super overbearing all the time, although mm-hmm. there were certainly things that we did and did not talk about. Um, but that said, I never really heard that. Mm-hmm. And I think if I would have heard that at a young age, like the only things that that stand are the word of God and the souls of men for eternity, I think I probably would have been really turned off. Like, I don't yeah. know that that would have made any sense to me at all. Yeah. Well, to me, I remember the takeaway kind of implied both implicit and explicit message to that was so therefore all the stuff around us doesn't matter. It's going to be turned to dust. Mm. And so therefore don't worry about things like what kind of car you can drive. Worry about saving that friend who sits next to you in math class because his soul is going to last and the car that sits in the parking lot at the school is not. Mm. 
And so that was what we heard in the youth group, this concept. And to me, it, it then felt like, like the next train of thought would be, okay, so why do I not just eat potato chips and drink Dr. Pepper? And like, why does anything matter on earth then? Is it just so I could live as long as possible to help usher in other souls? Or is it all toast and who cares? It always felt like there was a a paradox there that didn't add up. Did it feel uh, nihilistic at all? Like nothing, nothing matters. Yeah, it was this weird, like, the thing that's being whispered that's not being said out loud (laughs) is actually, it doesn't matter. I mean, it was used to justify even, like, oh, those environmentalists eye roll, you know? Mm. Um, These things aren't going to last. So why do we care about Earth if it's all turning to dust? And so, yeah, there was a bit of a nihilism to it that felt strange to me, but I think it kind of also created this compartmentalized us versus them, like the people who care about these things versus those of us who really know what matters. And so therefore we have the right priorities in line. Um, yeah. So it, it just, it didn't sit well with me the whole time. Does it also anyway. fuel a sort of, um, I don't know, maybe does it maybe fuel, I mean, listening to what you're talking about, like why not eat potato chips or, why care about Mm -hmm. the environment? Does it fuel a sort of thought um, that by participating in the decay of world, the world, somehow you're, you're more quickly ushering in um, the next life? A hundred percent. I mean, in fact, I remember hearing um, in college and then a seven-year-old kid saying this, you know, the kid said the, the quiet part out loud. Um, this idea, you know, we were taught that once everybody hears the gospel, then the end of the world will come. Mm. And so there was this idea of like, why don't we just all stop caring about these temporary things, go around, say it to everybody, and then boom, we can be done. And, and it was kind of this ha 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 kind of laughter idea. But the kid, the seven year old had this like, actually, why don't I just like, leave right now, go down the street, knock on all the doors and tell everybody really quickly about Jesus, you know, give them the little gospel spiel, you know, the Roman road thing, go to the next door, go to the next door. I can check the box of those people. They're now held accountable um, so that we can get on with this like temporary life thing. And mm. I mean, I'm, I'm saying all this out loud and I'm realizing I sound really snarky and really like I'm holding on to baggage. I'm not. I This whole time, I guess my point is this whole time, this didn't sit right with me. So instead of just saying the hell with it, I'm going to go drink beer into oblivion. I sought out for, I mean, turns out to be about 20 years. What's actually the contra to that? Like what makes sense? And where I've landed with the Catholic theology makes a lot more sense, but it's still just interesting to me how, okay, at the end of the day, the things we hold, the heft of the glass we hold or the dirt on our souls when we were walking in our garden barefoot, those things somehow matter. And why, like, why does God see it fit that earth is a real thing and not, we're not just all souls, you know, like, I don't know. He gave us bodies. That's weird. Yeah. Yeah, and when you talk about when you say uh, the Catholic theology of it, what you're saying is essentially that the idea that that matter matters, right? Matter I, matters. This is not my uh, this is not my rendering of of how you know sacramentality should be phrased. Others have said it before me. Others will say it again. 
Um, but, but everything that has been created that is tangible uh, matters and is important in the world. I actually write about this a lot in uh, my second book, which is the book of waking up. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I talk about it in terms of uh, wine, you know, and I think, you know, my story, my story is a story of recovery. Although I now look at recovery completely differently than I did even three years ago. But the idea that like wine, isn't the poison right? It's, it's the human heart. It's the human condition, the soul that turns it into poison. Now I am not saying guns don't kill people. People kill people. Not, not what I'm saying for a variety of reasons, including the fact that wine is a naturally occurring substance in the world and AR-15s are not. But again, another episode, these naturally occurring things in the world, things like bread and wine, um, you know, they were given to us to nourish us, to sustain us, to provide for us. And we can certainly misuse those things, right, in our own brokenness, in our own sickness. Um, but to have a right relationship with them and to see them as like, hey, this is really good stuff that was meant not for my intoxication or overindulgence or whatever, but was meant to point me to the giver of all good things. That's mm-hmm. something that's uniquely beautiful. You know, Ignatius writes about this in his spiritual exercises. He has an exercise called. I think it's called the exercise to attain the love of God or, or something along those lines. If you looked at attain the love of God, you would find this exercise. And he actually talks about this, about when you're in love with somebody, you give them gifts, you give them good things, you give them beautiful things. Um, you may give them wine or, I mean, he wouldn't have said this, but you may give them jewelry. You may give them perfume, you know, you, you know, lovers give the people they love good things, good gifts. And in the same way, God has given us these good gifts. And so when we contemplate and try to attain the love of God, one of the ways that we can do that is to look around the world and to say, hey, wow, amazing gift of the wood that created the island in my kitchen or mm-hmm. amazing gift of the marble that is the the slab of the altar or amazing gift of, you know, my spouse. Uh, who was created or amazing Mm -hmm. gift of the mud under my shoes when I go uh, running and, and how it brings me joy. It makes me feel happy. These Mm -hmm. are good gifts and they're all made from material. And also they're all made from material that is temporary. Mm -hmm. And so the idea that just because it's temporary means it doesn't matter is actually Mm -hmm. a far cry. I think, uh, from what it means to live a life that is focused on the love of God and the gifts that he gives us. Yeah. Hey guys, a quick break from our chat to tell you about a little tool I've been using the past year or so that has been a game changer for me. And I think you'll like it too. It's called Hallow. And it's a prayer and meditation app that is chock full of great resources to help me pray better and meditate more deeply. It has audio guided ancient prayers, Bible readings, follow along guides for things like Lectio Divina, examine, night prayer, some seasonal music, optional background, ambient noise, and more. And the thing is, it's really high quality. I know sometimes stuff like this is either poorly produced or kind of cheesy. And Hallow is neither of those things. And I have a super high kind of snobbish standard in that department, believe me. 
So some of what's on Hallow is intentionally really short, which is nice when we're talking a minute long for those quick breaks you need in the middle of a workday. Some of it is for when you can't sleep and you need to quiet your mind. Some of it is great for while you're sitting in traffic or going on a walk. And you can also create customized routines, which is so helpful for cultivating those habits we all want. So right now in my routine on Hallow, I've got a morning time of learning about and praying along with the saint of the day, according to the church calendar. And then in the evening, a routine of examine for daily reflection. Both of these things take me about 10 minutes. And yet I'm telling you, these little practices have made such a big difference in my life. I first started Hallow back with a 30-day trial, and I loved it so much, I not only upgraded to an annual subscription, I went with a family plan so that my entire household can use it too. So if you're looking for a meditation resource, but you want it faith-based, Hallow is the way to go. Now, yes, they're Catholic, which I personally love as a brand new convert, but I was using Hallow as a Protestant, and I loved it just as much. In fact, it was a simple, encouraging way to, quote, try out some beloved Catholic ancient practices without worry of me not knowing what the heck I was doing. You don't have to be Catholic to find Hallow incredibly life-giving. And I am so thrilled to tell you that they're giving you guys, the Drink with a Friend listeners, the opportunity to try them out with a 30-day trial as well. So you go to hallow.com slash drinks. That's H-A-L-L-O-W dot com slash drinks. And you can test drive the complete version of Hallow for free for 30 days. After that, you can go with the free version, which still has some great stuff on it, but there's a chance you'll be like me and want to keep the full version because it's so dadgum useful and life-giving. So again, that's hallow.com slash drinks for a free 30-day trial. Okay, back to our chat. Well, and you know, what we talk about a lot here is the sacramentality of ordinary things on earth. And what that really means is kind of like an onion, you're peeling back the top layer to see what's underneath the surface. And so if we think of all of earth being like that, you know, like the poet Elizabeth Barrett Browning talking about every common bush is a flame with God. And those who have eyes to see take off their shoes. Everyone else sits around and plucks blackberries. Mm -hmm. If we take the time to see the realness of what's really there, it turns out the the stuff of earth, I think, is realer than we can even imagine, especially if you ascribe to the philosophy, which I think makes sense about the idea of us here on earth being in the shadowlands. You know, mm-hmm. um, Plato first talked about that, and then we see hints of it in the New Testament where um, the things, our life here on earth is a shadow of what's to come. So perhaps that means where we're made from or where where we're made for is kind of similar to here, just realer. And so that doesn't mean, therefore, that everything here is fake. It means it's kind of of that same nature. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so to me, it's a really interesting idea that we can just toss off the idea of nothing here matters when really, I think if we are quiet enough to listen to our souls who really resonate with beauty, you know, I, I can resonate with looking at the maple on the butcher block on top and think this is stunning. The fact that it was really heavy to bring into the house means this is real wood from a real tree. Mm-hmm. Um, and that matters, you know, it actually matters that our 
our lives have physical heft to them. Um, and that's not to say that we have to buy the best money can buy. It simply means noticing the things that are really there and not the things that are just pretending. Um, Peter Kraft said on an episode of something a few weeks ago, a few months ago, I guess, that he found it interesting that all cultures have in their stories and their like fairy tale kind of stories, dragons in them, some form of a dragon, like mm-hmm. Asian cultures, uh, Middle Eastern cultures of every culture just about um, from all time. And the host said, oh, why do you think that is? And he says, I think it's because we have it somewhere in our memory. Mm-hmm. This the The dragon that Mary ultimately defeats in Revelation mm-hmm. 12, but is probably there in the Garden of Eden. Mm-hmm. So we have it somewhere lodged in our subconscious from our what's really there life. And I just think that whole idea is really interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think that's why a lot of these things resonate. A lot of the natural world resonates because it is getting to something primal, something that's been in us from the beginning that's been created and put in us. Um, I love fly fishing. I think you know this about me. And uh, I love fly fishing with my oldest son, um, Isaac. Um, And we have this spot that we go and I love it for a variety of reasons, including the fact that there's just a romance to it. You know, there's a romance to the lines of the rod and making a fly dance on the water and, and getting the perfect drift. There's a perfection to it when you do it right that just like nothing sort of can quite match. Um, and when we go, and I've, I've learned to, to hear the call before I see the bird. When we go, there are always kingfishers on the White River in uh, Arkansas. And, and interestingly, kingfishers are on, I think, every continent except Antarctica. I think mm. you can find a version of a kingfisher on every, uh, every continent. And they're beautiful birds and they're mm-hmm. fearless. They dive into the water, most of them. And uh, you know, like sort of dive bomb for for a little uh, fish and watching them dance on the water is just amazing. And and um, it's just it's it's beautiful. It's beauty at its finest. And it always reminds me of I hope you know what I'm going to say. Gerard Manley Hopkins poem yes. as Kingfishers Catch Fire. And that poem and not just that poem, but so much of Hopkins I was just um, going to say his whole collected works. <laughs> yeah. 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 So Dang. much of Hopkins is about look at the beauty of the earth and see how it is a reflection of divine mm-hmm. beauty. Like see how it points your eyes up, see how it pulls your heart up, see how it draws you to grace. Um, and, and that is, a, that is a, a, a unique way of seeing the world. And I think it's a, a way of seeing the world that a lot of people get. You know, even people mm-hmm. who are raised, as you you said, you know, um, that are outdoors people, adventurers, fly fishermen, hunters, you know, whatever the, the case may be, um, hikers. Like you, you get when you're in nature that like, no, this actually matters. Like the yeah. trees, the forest, the earth, the fish, the, the, the birds, the sounds of the birds, the songs of the birds, like this stuff actually matters. And even if you can't say why there's something in you, right? That says, this is a place where I can commune with God. And every avid outdoorsman I know, every one of them, uh, even the atheists will say, when I get in nature, there is something transcendent. There's something Mm -hmm. that pulls me up and out of of the world. And um, I think there's something really important there. And I think it goes back to to sort of the, the, the 
the craft thought that there is something in us um, that is this sort of primal memory. Um, and yeah. it's important to listen to that primal memory. Yeah, no, I agree. And I also think it's interesting to think about the fact that God made, or even if you're an atheist and you don't believe there's a maker, the fact that things are actually beautiful, like mm -hmm. that a flower is a flower. I mean, or just that we need food to sustain us or we need sleep to sustain us, like how granular and real we are. Um, that's just weird. Like if we were just floating souls, that's what we would be. And yet we're not. And so, you know, kind of getting back to that theology uh, from the Catholic Church that the Council of Trent back in whenever that was, early 1600s, named the the what they needed to name as dogma regarding our bodies. And they basically, you know, affirmed what the Bible says, which is that when Jesus does return to earth, he will physically raise all of us, giving back the bodies we lost at death. And that these will be the same bodies people had in earthly life, but our resurrected bodies will be better because they won't die and they will be in a glorified state. Actually, there's four bodily gifts that the church teaches. And I don't want to get into that yet because they're about, they're from Aquinas and <laughs> there's, I mean, it's like brain explosion. So just the fact that our bodies matter to me points full circle to the idea that the reason our souls resonate with things like sunsets and kingfishers and real wood on countertops points to just how we're made, like who we are and what we're actually made for. Um, it's like that quote C.S. Lewis says that's been overly used, but I don't care because it's so good. In Mere Christianity, it says, if I find my, in myself desires which nothing in this world can satisfy, the only logical explanation is that I was made for another world. And so to me, it's almost like, well, that's just it then. That's why the Kingfisher stops you in your tracks and why, you know, you you weirdly like the feel of dirt on your feet. Yeah. Um, and also why... Jesus told us to eat bread and drink wine because that's really weird if you think about it. Like, why do we need to do that again and again to have Christ in us? I mean, other if if the physical didn't matter, then the fact that he said that and he used those verbs in John 6, like chewing and gnawing on his flesh, that's just weird stuff, you know? Mm. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, it is weird stuff. But again, like, what makes more sense? That that Jesus would come saying weird things about matter, um, and uh, that he would draw weird metaphors from bread and wine, or that we were all made to be shining orbs at the end of all time and are just temporarily inhabiting matter. Mm -hmm. uh, because if the end goal of all time is to be shining orbs floating <laughs> around Bibles, uh, then why not just make us shining orbs here? Right. Like if the goal is just to create more shining orbs, why matter? Why the stuff of earth? Why bread, wine, bark, you know, dirt, uh, kingfishers? Why any of that stuff? Again, I think to go back to Ignatius's point, the idea is that, um, you know, we see the love of the lover through the gifts he gives the one he loves. Um, mm -hmm. 
And so, man, it's so much more than becoming shining orbs. And yeah. there's something about that that is very, very hopeful. So hopeful. And, you know, it's interesting because the concept of shining orbs is relatively new. I like that you've said it that way. Um, meaning it's a very modern way of thinking about how the world works. Because when you look at all the church fathers, I mean, we're talking pretty much all 2000 years, there have been people, you know, we're talking, I mean, you, you mentioned Ignatius, we're talking Justin Martyr, Clement, um, Tertullian, uh, Augustine, they all talked about our physicality mattering. Um, and yet, I think there's something that fights against that because Gnostics have been around since Jesus's time, you know, the heresy of Gnosticism that we that bodies are bad or that matter is bad mm -hmm. and only the spiritual is good. So I think it makes sense that we push back on this idea because it almost feels a little too like it can't be that real. Like it can't our the soil and the cup I'm holding and my fingernails can't actually matter that much. Right. Because what matters the most are like my thoughts and my, um, my desire to love or whatever it is. I'm, you know, the things that are intangible. Um, so it, it's human nature to push back against this. So I get it, especially if you're listening and you're thinking, yeah, I don't know, this doesn't sit right with me. It makes sense that it doesn't sit right with you. Yeah. And if, I mean, again, this is not just, uh, should not just be, a thing of Catholic theology, right? Mm -hmm. This is this is actually like the logic of how the world operates. The right. world goes forward in matter. We move forward in matter. We interact with matter. We create matter. We destroy matter. Um, and and if that's true, then we have to see all of it as a gift. Like the food we eat is matter, and that is a gift. And so we need to, you know, think about what we consume and how we consume it, right? Mm -hmm. um, if if we use wood to make beautiful things, then we need to think, like, do we want to use cheap knockoffs to make the island? Or would we rather have, like, an actual piece of, uh, you know, the world in our kitchen and preferably one that's sustainably sourced? Um, when we think about the things that we consume uh, from an energy perspective, even, like, these are gifts. So we shouldn't be sorry about con consuming them. But by the same token, we need to be mindful of how we're consuming things. Um, because again, these are gift. And, and it doesn't matter if you're, you know, Catholic, Baptist, Hindu, right. Muslim, atheist. Like these are gifts um, yeah. in the world around us. And it's, it, you know, it's really worth thinking about them in that way, just from a human perspective. And even just like you know, the ingenuity that God uh, gives us or the ingenuity that's implanted in humans that does things like create vaccines, for instance, uh -huh. these are still physical things um, that are created for man's ingenuity. And certainly, you know, sometimes uh, things can be created that are harmful for men. And sometimes things can be created that are beautiful and wonderful gifts of science. And, and so we need to think and ask these questions like, like, how do we interact with science? If science is a is a good that creates material and matter that's good for our bodies, then we should harness that as a gift. Mm -hmm. And so there are just all these ways of beginning to think about matter and material that says, like, we aren't shining orbs. We are bodies and your body matters. And mm -hmm. so, hey, to the person out there who um, might say, well, if it's my time to die, it's my time, time to die and I'll, you know, go off into the great hereafter. No, like you have a responsibility to your body 
as a physical presence in this world, interacting with other physical presences to take care of it and to do the right thing for the matter of your body. Um, It's just, it's, it's, it's so much more important, I think, than we give uh, a play to. Yeah, I do too. And I think um, the second takeaway, because I love that you said that about like our daily choices matter and how we interact with the world matters. I think we also have to remember the other physical bodies in our presence matter, aka community, aka friendships. And I think that's why, you know, for those of us who, well, all of us who dealt with COVID at the beginning and had to go to church virtually, it sustained for a little bit, but then it became terrible, right? It became this thing that just didn't work. And it's because we, we became consumers or viewers of, of what was supposed to be something we were in, were made to be physically there for. Um, And so to me, a takeaway in addition to being mindful of how we care for ourselves and our things is being mindful of how we interact with other souls, you know, that they matter. These physical bodies that we live next door to and have coffee with and, and teach and work alongside, they matter as well. And to invest in them because, you know, they're part of the dirt of earth as well in a good way. Yeah. Yeah. I couldn't agree more. Yeah. Well, that lighthearted topic over coffee. I'm curious, what is adding more truth, beauty, and goodness to your life these days? Well, I think I told you when we started this that, you know, it, it gets to be difficult, right? Because we record one of these a week. And so part of the issue is, you know, if we choose art or if we choose a book or if we choose a miniseries, Oftentimes, we're still on that same piece of art or, or book or miniseries. We're still contemplating those things. And so sometimes we run out of things. But then I'm reminded that, you know, sometimes um, we discover on the fly uh, truth, beauty, or goodness in the world around mm-hmm. us. And today, when we were talking about Hopkins, I was reminded um, of this poem, God's Grandeur, that's also yeah. by Gerard Manley Hopkins. So I want to read it. Good. Perfect. The world is charged with the grandeur of God. It will flame out like shining from shook foil. It gathers to greatness like the ooze of oil crushed. Why do men then now not wreck his rod? Generations have trod, have trod, have trod. And all is seared with trade, bleared, smeared with toil. And wears man's smudge and shares man's smell, the soil is bare now, nor can foot feel being shod. And for all this, nature is never spent. There lives the dearest freshness deep down things. And though the last lights went off, the black west went. Oh, morning, at the brown brink eastward springs, because the Holy Ghost over the bent world broods with warm breast and with, ah, bright wings. I love that poem so much. I think I'm, I I was actually thinking last week, I think I want to memorize that because I want to memorize, I want to have my students memorize um, some poetry this year. And I think I'm going to do that alongside with them. And I want to do that one. And that's a good one because it has so much great alliteration and internal rhyme and and would lend (sighs) itself to memorization. I love it so much. I love that man so much. Yeah. Yeah. Good one. Good. And at the end of the day, what is he saying? He's saying, Matter matters. He's saying we can desacralize it, right? We can get to the point where we can't even feel our feet being shod, you know? Mm-hmm. We've so desacralized it. We've smeared it. 
um, or we can see it as something sacred when the bright sun breaks over the east. That's right. Yeah. It's good. So, Tish, what is bringing more truth, goodness, or beauty to your life? Well, I started watching the show a while ago, and then I had to stop because it was too violent and too sexually charged. But then, um, but I thought it was so good, like the storytelling. But then we decided to try this thing called Vid Angel, which I have really side eyed <laughs> for years now because I'm not sure what I think about just censoring and then calling it good because there's something to be said about stuff in things that maybe can, adds to the storytelling and then avoiding things just because they're they're too full of ick. But VidAngel is the service that censors things really specifically according to what you toggle. So when you sign up for their service, you connect your 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 subscription like to Netflix with it. And then when you want to watch a show, you can pull it up and then before that episode, you can say, yeah, censor this 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 kind of stuff. Mhm. Um, we're just trying it out. We got a three month special for really cheap. And if we hate it, we'll just cancel it. But we figured out what's the harm in trying it. Yeah. Well, I thought of the show because my thought was, gosh, this would be good. Even like the storytelling would even be enjoyable with the kids, but there's no way on earth I, I'm going to ever show it to them because I can't even handle it. Yeah. Um, it. So all that to say, it is called The Last Kingdom mm. and it's on Netflix and um, it is it's historical fiction. So it's got some truth to it, but it's also, you know. A storytelling about um, when the Vikings or the Danes came and invaded England. Mm. And so this takes place in, it starts off in the late ninth century. So it's this time period that we don't interact with much. We moderns don't interact with much. And I find it so fascinating. Just the storytelling is so vivid and interesting because bringing it back to the conversation we've had today, the sacramentality of how they saw everything. They saw God in absolutely everything, every, mm. uh, just their daily life, but in the reason things happen. And so it's talked about all throughout the story, even the quote pagans, you know, the, the pagan Vikings saw the gods or the spirit world in mm -hmm. everything physical. Um, and so that part is just really interesting. But this, the plot is also just good, too. But I am not kidding. I can't endorse it without a lot of um, a lot of whatever we call that censorship, because we I, I, I it skipped whole parts of the show. So don't hear me say this and think, gosh, she likes this. Um, I like it without all the ick. Um, and it's fantastic. And I watched it last night. I watched the first episode with Kyle and with our youngest, our 11-year-old, and he loved it. Um, and that's because it it killed everything. It, it took out everything that would hurt his soul. <laughs> so I mean, that's what I recommend. That sounds amazing. Maybe you can move on to Game of Thrones. I think you could watch the first two seasons in like 15 minutes. Exactly. That's what we were laughing about. Like, how many of these <laughs> shows could we just get the cliff notes on then without having to see all that stuff? Because they'd be so short. <laughs> oh, that's funny. Yeah. You know, I will say, um, uh, the, one of the funniest things I, I'm, I'm not, I was not a Game of Thrones watcher. So, to the listeners out there who have and love it, um, I know not of what I speak. But right. the funniest tweet that I saw of the last five years was from Karen Swallow Pryor, who is a literature professor and who knows yep. a thing or two about stories. And when Game of Thrones ended and everybody was so upset, she tweeted. It was a complete troll tweet, which like shout out to her for this. Her right. tweet was, 
and I quote, I'm sorry your little dragon show ended so badly. <laughs> brilliant. That's so good. A brilliant troll. Hats off to Karen Swallow Pryor. That's so well done. Oh, that's so good. Um, yeah, that was a show I had to miss because the tiny little bit I heard about it was like, yeah, that's going to mess my brain up for decades. So, yes, you know, no, no comment on, on those who could handle it. It's it's me and it's it's what matters to me, I guess. But yeah, there was there was a bit of a kerfuffle about the ending, I know, and I know nothing either. So we could really annoy people by talking about, you know, that part when everyone turned to robots and and how dumb that was. But I yeah. see. I mean, you could tell me that that's what happened, they, that they all woke up and they were in some alien's dream. I would be like, yeah, that sounds vaguely right. <laughs> right. Yeah. I think people are upset about something like that. Exactly. Yeah, sure. Yeah, I would be upset too. too. So anyway. <laughs> All right. Well, it is time to wrap this up. You can find this episode as well as all episodes at adrinkwiththefriend.com. If you like the show and all the shows and what we've been doing here around the table, you can help keep it going by picking up the next round of drink because the show is free for you to listen to, but it's not free for us to make. So at the cost of a cup of coffee or a pint, you can play a big part. Find the link to do this in the show notes of this episode or at adrinkwithafriend.com. And thank you again for all of you who are participating. We really, really, really appreciate it. Also, a little reminder to check out Hallow free for 30 days at hallow.com slash drinks. I have heard from several of you that you are loving it. So that makes me happy. I use it daily and love it too. So again, that's hallow.com slash drinks or find the link in the show notes. You can find me and how to connect with me, especially via my newsletter at tishoxenwriter.com. Seth, where can people find you? Sethhaines.com. All right. Music for the show is by Kevin McLeod and editing is by Kyle Oxenwriter. I'm Tish Oxenwriter with Seth Haynes, and we will be back here with you soon. Thanks for listening. <laughs>